So it's now official. Everton have been hit with a 10-point points deduction at the start of this international break. Devastating news for them, but it creates a great opportunity for them to have some fun in their game back against Manchester United at the weekend. Before that, we're going to talk about our thoughts on that and just the reality of how, by the looks of things, with VAR, with the fixture pile-up, with the number of injuries we've had this season so far, the game is well and truly gone. Or is it? And can it be saved? I'm joined, as always, by Craig yeah. and Matthew. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start off of that news at Goodison Park with what's going on with Everton. Matthew, what's your thoughts on the situation for them? I mean, they can't catch a break at the moment. They It's just been like for the last few years with near threats of relegation, I, you know, injuries, like player disputes on and off the pitch. This is like the last thing that they've needed. And it kind of shows why the last few games they've had, they've had a bit on a bit of a run. Like this is what they were preparing for. Like we, got, we need to knock, we need to get maximum amount of points from how many, so many games. And to be fair, I mean, apart from like a couple of results, they've actually done pretty well to get to the point where the wrong thing is four or five points. So, you know, it's it's only November, but these kind of things, they do count. So they carry that form forward. Like you said, against Man U, go on a bit of a run. They've kind of given themselves enough of a cushion to kind of go on and progress and get the game, get the wins when they can during the season. We still got to play them. We've got to play all these other teams. But, you know... I reckon they were they're, they're disappointed. I think they're upset every, with every right to leave. Plus, a new stadium um, by the river coming by. You know, the last thing you want to do is have that glam stadium and playing in the championship. So they're going to have that in mind. This is probably the, I'm not saying these points are a good thing, but I think it's giving them a bit of a reason to go on and try and push up that table and confirm their survival in some sort of way. Last year, they barely they were they were in the rough of it between Leicester and Leeds. They won't want to be there again. And looking just by the form they've had so far with Daesh and just how they've improved and look a little bit more stable in areas, I don't think they're going to be there again. I think they're going to be in a relegation fight, but they're going to be ones that go a bit, bit further up the table. But um, it's it sucks that it's happened at this point. It really, really does. Bit of a real, real shame, but I think they'll be all right. Yeah, I hope, I hope they can turn it around and figure it out because it'll be a shame to lose one of the oldest clubs in the football league one of the Premier League founders to relegation. But for you, Craig, when you look at the news and how it all broke, obviously Everton are appealing it, so we'll see what happens with that, whether they are successful or they might get it extended, you never know. But how do you think Everton should approach this now going into like, you know, their next sort of five or six games? Win them all. Simple as that. They can't they can't lose in, they can't afford to lose in no more games. They have to win them all and get out of that relegation zone as quick as possible because the team below them or in front of them start picking up points. They don't want to make the, they want to, they don't want the gap to be big and every before Christmas, Christmas around the corner. So they want to narrow the gap. Get, if they can get out, get out during the Christmas holidays, then that would be good for them. If they can appeal it and be successful, well, I think they can. They can maybe be successful with it. If they have a strong case to say this and that, whatever. Then, then hopefully they can do that. But if not, they're going to have to work extremely hard, win every game, be invincible for every game until they're out of the relegation zone. Yeah. And, le- and learn from these mistakes as well. Other, other clubs have to learn from what happened to Everton that happened to them. So I think what's also interesting, interesting as well as with these charges is that it's because two teams that got relegated last season put in a formal complaint about them. I think it was... Um, Leeds and... Leicester? Norwich. Leeds and- no, no Leeds, Leeds were one. It might have been. It might no. I think it might have been Villa. 
Leeds and Villa. Yeah, my big thing might be Villa. That's why it was investigated into them. I mean, obviously, we knew that when um, Fahad Mashiri took over in terms of ownership, they spent a lot of money on Tross, whether it be managerial appointments that did not make any sense at the time or now in hindsight, or player signings which did not make sense at the time or in hindsight. <laughs> They've really wasted money. And I guess for you, Matthew, when you look at that as well, how important do you think it is for other teams who will look at the situation, what's happened to, to um, Everton? How do you think other teams now will approach not just their transfer dealings, but also how they pick the managers that they bring in when they want to change things up? Well, it kind of depends on where they are at the time of Christmas. Christmas, the Christmas um, fixtures are all really disjointed and unorganised sometimes because I think they've moved it now around... So we're not, I don't think they're doing... I think they're doing Christmas Eve on not Boxing Day because normally, from what I understand, is during Christmas Day when they're in the fact at home, they go training halfway through the day to be fair, to Boxing Day. They're not doing that this time, so it's moved around a little bit more. But you've also got to be conscious of January, the January transfer window. And you look at... You'll, you'll look at this... Uh, every single time a lot of teams relegation where they want to try and get out and they stockpile with teams with not just it's not just how many players they get it's the kind of player that they have so QPR was a prime example many years ago they stockpile with the likes of G-Sun Park um, Christopher Samuel came returned Rio Ferdinand Bossingwa, um, all these players and they still I don't think they don't think they got bottom but they got the finish they got relegated because they're going with players that they thought would make an impression but it's like these guys are past it they, they've got nothing more to prove to you guys. And then the worst thing you panic is the guy in the dugout, like what they did with Frank Lampard not that long ago, who nearly, again, put them in, is probably part responsible for the position that they're in. Get someone in more experienced like Sean Dyche, who granted might not be able to play the most glamorous football, but at least be able to get you to defend. You know, and you look at the clubs like your Sheffield United's, Burnley's, Luton, maybe even Fulham, or maybe even Forest, you know, will look at something like this. And certain teams who have been there before will know how to cope. But particularly the teams that have been recently promoted will be looking around. I reckon they'll be looking around, I think I said this before, other clubs with players that aren't maybe playing in like other Premier League teams and might just loan and stockpile and getting them all in. It's not guaranteed to work. You know, you got to get the right personnel in and it's like, listen, there's a chance, a good chance in five months' time you could be playing in the Championship. So just bear that in mind. You're not just here for the, for the thing and stink out the joint next season wherever we are. You've got to be here for the, the flog and the survival. And it seems that Everton, I think for the good players they have, because they've got, they've got two good squad to be where they are, I think a lot of them do get it. You know, the likes of Pickford, he will get it. The likes of Calvert-Lewin, he will get it. The likes of Coleman, who's been there for, since forever, he will get it. And, you know, other players are like, they're going to realise that, you know, they could be like free generals of, of the team. They know what's at stake. And if I'm getting in a whole bunch of players, I'd consult them as much as I could because they understand the meaning of what it is to this club. So I think that's what they've got to be mindful when they do their recruiting in the summer. It's like, no, don't just be a thing where you get the chairman involved, get the players involved because they're, they're, they're down for the sinking. But are you down for the sinking? That is the big thing. They need people on board and they need to make sure that whatever decisions they make between now and, you know, obviously now in this time period when they're trying to accumulate points and thinking about who they could bring in to help bolster the squad, that's going to be very important as well. Do you think, Craig, when you look at this whole saga, when you think about teams like, you know, Sheffield United have just come up who are struggling this season. It's been a very tough time for them. You look at um, 
London Forest, who have kind of steadied the ship more or less, but they did a lot of investments in terms of player turnover from last se- from their season when they got promoted last year in the Premier League and obviously now this year. Do you think for those teams that are down at the bottom who might feel like, you know, let's actually chuck some money at it and see if, there's, see if we can get a solution, do you think this scenario might make them pause and think first before they start investing into players and, and even, even like I said, I was saying, like changing managers and seeing if that works? Because there's been no one fired in the Premier League so far this season, which is quite astounding. And that this is probably the first season in a long time when there hasn't been a manager sacked after this many games. Considering where teams are in the league, it's it's quite astounding. Well, I think the reason why, because the, 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 there's, a, there's not a massive gap between the teams at the bottom and the, and the top half of the table. There's not a massive gap. Like with Chelsea at the moment, a couple of wins are getting them into the top half of the, like, in the higher up of the table. Mm-hmm. And where like teams like a Nottingham Forest or a Fulham are, two or three wins will put them up, push them up the table. So it's not a massive gap at the moment. And everyone's taking points off each other. Mm-hmm. So it's like... The only re- the only issue is with Everton is that because they they were where were they on the table before they got their ten point deduction? They were like you know they were outside the relegation zone. They're outside, yeah. So Burnley, yeah, Burnley are bottom on four points. Everton are in nineteenth on four points. Sheffield United on fifth and five, and then Luton Town out the relegation zone on six points. And if they beat Man United on Sunday, they're out of it. They're out of the relegation. So it's zone. not yeah, it's not the end. It's of, not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. They've given themselves enough of a cushion to mm. get to where they are now. So, Definitely, and they will know that. Yeah. Yes, I mean, like I said, their, their last few games has been quite good. You know, win, loss, win, draw, win. They really need to make that a, a regular thing. Card all the losses, win, 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 and draw when teams uh, around them. Yeah, get make them count. Like like the, like the Lutons of this world and the um, Bournemouth of this world are relegation six pointers for them, so they have to win them. Another type of games they have to win, and if they play the big team like the Man Cities and the Arsenal's or the Liverpool's or the Chelsea's, just avoid defeat, get a draw. Try not to lose. Try not to lose. Get a draw. At least get a point. Park the bus, get a point. At home. Or sneaky, get a sneaky 1-0 win or something. At home? Yeah. Exactly that. Make make your home ground a fortress. That's going to be the big challenge. Can they do that? Can they make Goodison Park be a difficult place to play? We know they've done that in the past, so it's not an impossible task for them, but can Mm. they do it? Just want to look ahead to some of their their next sort of fixtures. Um, just to see what they've got up ahead of them because that's going to be the big challenge. Their next, let's just look at their next. We'll do okay. We'll go up to the, for the end of the rest of this year. So first up, they've got Man United at home, as we've said. Then they go to um, Nottingham Forest away. Then they've got Newcastle and Chelsea back to back home games early Ooh. December. Then they have Burnley away. Then they have Spurs away, Man City at home, Ooh. and they end the year Wolves away. So if I'm looking at those pick those fixtures now, just based on what we've seen, you know, previously, Burnley, Nottingham Forest are the six-point games they want to get maximum points from. Mm. Wolves, it's a tricky one, and they can do it, mm-hmm. but it's a tricky one. Man United, we would love them to do it for the humour, but mm. it's going to be a hard one as well. Man United and then, now Yeah, as well, and then so. Chelsea, Man City, and Spurs, you'd probably say... Chelsea, Newcastle, City, and Spurs, you'd probably say those four on paper... Are tricky games. ...might be a foregone conclusion. But you never know, because Spurs are the injuries... Everton might have an opportunity there to get something. Newcastle have a few injuries as well, and they looked very, you know, shaky against Wolves in the last game. Bournemouth. Bournemouth in the last game. 
Um, and I think and um, Chelsea, we know you guys are on a good run, but mm. Charity FC can wear its ugly head. And, and Everton have got a good record against Chelsea at Goodison. They do? They do have a good record at Goodison. And Man City yeah. are not firing on every single cylinder. They're not firing, but in a game like that, you'd expect them to get three points. Yeah. It's in the Christmas. That, that is on um, 27th of December, the Man City game. And the, Everton, and the Spurs game's on the 23rd. So it's it's a very tough fixture list going into January. But I do think they can get at the very minimum. I think if they left... So what's that? Three, six, nine, twelve. There's 21 points... 24 points up for up for grabs there. Um, and I think if they could get 12, that would not be a bad return. It would mean they would have quite a few wins and a few draws and, you know, obviously defeats were expected. But we'll see. I hope they can um, pull something out of the bag and, and do that as well. Obviously... In light of this, these charges, there's been some news coming out about Roman Abramovich from his time in charge of Chelsea, and some, uh, you know, payments that he may have made to agents of players. This one uh, story where allegedly he paid Eden Hazard's agent seven million pounds to convince him to join Chelsea over coming to Arsenal, which, as history has played out, makes me feel very angry. We would have never had the Beyblade moment. Or maybe it, would have been John, maybe it would have been John Terry spinning around like a Beyblade instead of Francis Coquelin. Who knows? But with that being said, and obviously, of course, we're still waiting for Manchester City and their 115 charges to come to light. With this 10-point charge deduction being given to Everton for you, Craig, what do you think the punishment would be for City and now potentially Chelsea for what they've done. Obviously, it has to go to an independent panel that has to agree. What do you think the charges could potentially be for them, considering what Everton have gotten for what they did? Hefty final relegation. If you find them, they've got the money, they can they can pay it off in no time. So that's to be a severe punishment. Sorry, Matthew, but if you break the rules, you have to pay if you break the rules. Simple as that. You can't get... If Arsenal did that and, they, and they've done it, I'll say the same thing. If you break the rules, you have to pay for breaking rules, and no one's no one's so superior, or no one should be, or no one should try and break the law or break the rules just because they had, they got money and power. So, yeah, if they've done that, then they both need to be punished severely. And if that means that they have to strip them for their titles that they won, for all the trophies they won in a time when they cheated, then yeah, yeah, I th- I think this this has definitely been a year of accountability across the world in general and lots of things that have been hidden have definitely come into the light which is good because people them need to be dealt severe punishment for their crimes but for you Matthew like as a fan you know if you're you know, living through this kind of golden Chelsea era of success of winning trophies you know that Roman has bankrolled a lot of stuff he's been very smart in how he set up the accounts of Chelsea from his ownership in terms of the debt going to the you know, they had that, the found well, the charitable arm foundation that he had set up where the debt was all going there. And so there wasn't anything that the club was in, incurring, which was really good, which helped with the sale to Todd Bowley. But how do you look at things in light of these potential allegations against your club? I know what I want. And I know what I don't want. And, you know, if push comes to shove, you know, point deduction, I'll take that any day. 
um, a big fine. Again, we've been people forget we've been punished in the past before this with a transfer ban. And if there's one thing that is shown sure. is that we can bounce back. And if anything, it kind of showed the spirit of the club during that time where we had lost our best player. We couldn't sign anyone. We had to rely on what we had and um, um, the talent that we had with our young, which for the most, which for many, many years, we knew how good it was. And on that year, we proved how good it could be. So there was a kind of a, a different kind of view around Chelsea. None of this power, power, power thing, just more of a club rather than a force of nature. It was more of a club. But this time it's a different kettle of fish because you know the, the, we've got it's a different situation now because we've got so many other players, young players on these fat contracts, and possibly we don't know what the future is going to hold for us should something happen. But look, like Craig said, he's one of those things you just have to take on your take on it and just move on, move and prove a success and move on from it. If we get relegated, so be it. I'd rather be relegated than say they take away some of the things that we won because I don't think that ha I wouldn't put that on the players that were there at the time. They were just there to do a job. But relegation, I will take more or less over anything. Point deduction, you know, all these kind of things. It's not nice to hear that your club's been involved in things like that. It's obviously not nice. Obviously, hold a lot of pride. I'm still going to support them no matter what happens anyway. I'll still be going down to the bridge. Hell, it might improve tickets dropping price. That's one <laughs> advantage of me. And there's also, there's also the WSL women's team charging off 5-1 against Liverpool. Thank you. So, you know, look, it's, if there's one thing that we have is resilience, I think we'll pretty much take on what, whatever comes our way. So we'll see, we'll just have to see what comes. But listen, I'm only cool with this if the Sky Blues come with us. I agree. But let, let, I'm only, I, that, that alone, just with your, we're going down. You're coming with us. I think that's fair. And let, let's just talk through some of the, the, the well, what's been alleged against you. So the, the time period for which these payments were made, were, the seasons that were made rather is 05, 06, 08, 09 season, 11, 12 season, 14, 15 season and 17, 18 season. And obviously throughout those years, in 05, 06, you won the Premier the League, League, FA Cup and League Cup. Yep. 08, 09, you won the Premier League and the FA Cup twice because they're counting it as an overlap in season 11 mm -hmm. 12 it was the fa cup champions league and um, mm. then because of the overlap in seasons it also counts europa league win mm. 14 15 league and cup double and 17 18 league and cup double, double. lots of trophies to lose if they're found because but in terms of what they've alleged or what's been found in these secret Cyprus papers or the Cyprus confidential files is that there were payments that have uh, been routed through third parties to the agent of Eden Hazard, Antonio Conte, and the transfers of Willian and Samuel Etu. Now, we know with Willian, when he came to Arsenal, we were not happy with how that deal went down anyway. Not saying it was anything dodgy done, but the guy was a bum. And it was just it was just a bad deal for everyone. In fact, I remember when he scored his um his first goal for Arsenal was a free kick on the yeah. on the last games of the his season. His only game against West Brom. His, yeah. West Brom. And Arteta, oh, I love it. His reaction, did he celebrate? No. Did he do a fist pump? Nah. Turned to the bench and swore in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> just like this guy. Now you score. <laughs> All this time to deliver. Now you turn up. Say less. Obviously, you ripped that contract up. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot. And there's obviously been uh, talk about some of your deals, some of the younger players like, um, you know, Bertrand Traore. 
and some other ones. So there's a lot in there and we'll see what comes with it. Um, obviously, you know, Roma is not involved with Chelsea anymore. And I'll be curious to see whether the Premier League actually do decide to punish you guys retrospectively or prospectively with this one. For us, the big one is Man City because it's, it's just too many charges. Everton's one was a handful of charges and, and it's, look how quickly it's been resolved. Mm. We're still waiting for Man City. Uh, and like you said, Matthew, you're right. The Sky Blues need to come down with you if they're found guilty. For you, Craig, what would, um, what do you think needs to happen now in the sport to kind of bring a sense of fairness and transparency back? Because this has been historic financial abuses that have been done by clubs and led to their success. Well, it starts from it starts from from FIFA. All of it's all corrupt. It's all corrupt. So if they're gonna say if they're gonna say they want the the, the club teams to be clean, then the whole thing has to be cleaned out, wiped out. If the mean, whole if body. The whole thing has to be clean. Wipes. If it means you have to sack people, sack people, lock up people, do what you have to do. But it has to start from that from FIFA, UEFA, all the way down to the, all the governing bodies, and have a ref, ref, refresh. And if it mean, and when it comes to the owners as well, I would say that before they come into the clubs, you have to make sure they do a proper check, not this fit and purpose rubbish that they're talking about. That's <laughs> bullshit. Sorry, that's not. <laughs> that, that, that's rubbish. They, they, they don't do their job properly because if they did their job properly, why did the Everton owner waste all that money on on wasted all that dross? Even, yeah. even thinking back to Leicester when they were first taken over. By the guy who died? No, but the guy before him, the previous owner. Oh, the um, Thailand was... Yeah, the Thailand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He had no money. He had no money. Yeah. It's like, how, how, how did that even pass fit and proper testing? Mm. And obviously, we're not going to talk about Newcastle. What about Man City? When Man City owner before, before before the the um the, the Arabs, they had the um Chinese guy before when Ericsson was before that. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, he yeah, he was another yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, he just came yeah, and then spent yeah. all the big money. The next season was bankrupt. The Birmingham owners, Birmingham yeah, City Birmingham owners, City remember owners. them? Blackburn, Blackburn Rovers, Venkies. They they their their single ownership. <laughs> Venkies turn them around. Do you remember how good? Do you remember how good they were? Yeah, they ballers, and they were actually pushing for like Europa League thing. And then what? Over the space of what one, two years, they were fading to obscurity. I still remember when Venkies tried to change their 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 crests into like a chicken or something. Oh man! And the fans were just like, nah, dead that idea. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, are Venkies still owning the Blackburn? They're still there. They're still there. The Venky sponsor. Yeah, it's still on the advertising ground. Yeah, when they play Blackburn at Lancashire Derby. The yeah. Venkies are still there. Yes. And look at Newcastle, like you with Newcastle, but beforehand, Sports Direct Arena for how long? Venkies mm. yeah. still own Blackburn Rovers. And it's and been 11 and, years on. And it's yeah. still in the championship. And, and, still, and, they, and they, haven't, they, haven't, they haven't got to the playoffs. They haven't got promoted. I think they got relegated at one point. Again. Did they? I think they did. To League Two. No, League One. League One, sorry. Yeah. Mad. It was only. It wasn't that. It wasn't massively long ago. They had like Gabs Pedersen and and, and Tunchai, Yakubu, Paul Robinson, Yakubu, and they were pushing for Europa League. Firmly pushing for Europa League, and now look. No, I feel. I feel. Like, no, but on, on a serious note, though, I think they have to do a proper like when when these owners are coming into the club, you've got to do a proper check on them. Not this little little. Oh, he's already got money, so it should be alright. Because if a lot of these a lot of these clubs are doing financial doping. When they're getting all these expensive players and buying up every like FIFA career mode, buying up all the top talent, and then when it comes down to it, they're getting all the success, and then you've got the clubs like the mini clubs who are not who don't have a lot of money 
end up getting relegated and a lot of them can't come back up because they can't sustain, you know what or I mean? Or they go defunct. Yeah. And Blackburn Rovers are currently 12th in the championship. Mm. Uh, they were on 22 points. The championship has been leaded by le- led by Leicester on 39 points who are joint uh, Ipswich with Ipswich. Yeah. Uh, because of goal difference, uh, Leicester are ahead. And Leicester's only lost one game this season in the championship. Two. No, two. 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 Oh, Leeds okay. and um, Hull. Lost two and they've won three on the bounce since those two defeats. So what I love about the championship is just so competitive mm. um, and anything can happen. That's proper football, Claire. Mm. The championship is proper football. There's, there's no money in the championship. It's proper, proper football. There's, there's, they, they, it's more It's more just a case of going to watch the game. It's family orientate, orientated as well. Because, it's, just, it's just going yeah. to watch the game. No one cares about next signing no one cares about how many trophies mm. it's all about on that saturday 3 p.m going down and watching your team getting an overpriced pizza hot dog or whatever Oco pie. like all around the corners <laughs> of because I, I do work at a stadium sometimes every other weekend and they come down in their droves they come and sing the song stadiums are tiny in comparison to the mega ones we have in the premier league mm. but you 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 feel you hear everything the fans the players you feel it all and that's their little happy spot, man. It's just come down. They all can agree about the, the on the club, and that's what it is. It's like a little social thing, right there. So, I guess on that note, then, what would you say is the biggest thing from a a fan experience perspective that separates out the Championship from the Premier League that the Premier League has sort of lost over the years? It's lost its spirit. It's lost its hearts, and it's lost what it meant to the people who put years and years in to only try and appease foreign tourists, investors, and those look to do like a community project. You know, I'm not saying that these things are bad, but what they're saying is that they're not football. And I think it's it's good to make a distinction between foreign tourists and like foreign fans. Cause you have foreign fans who were like super invested in these clubs. Big and, time, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and when you think about like the hours they have to wake up to catch their teams, obviously fans are Premier League clubs, but you've got fans that are, because of games like Football Manager, and obviously FIFA now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they've grown to appreciate the clubs that are, are lower down the football, football league, um, the football uh, pyramid. So, mm. I think it's important to distinguish those two because I think yeah, a lot of the discourse online now when it comes down to fans from overseas is like they treat, it's almost like international fans don't have the same... Um, commitment? Or? Not commitment. They shouldn't be viewed in the same way as the domestic fans domestic because they've fan. not been here and it's not the same for them. But it's like we all love our clubs. They all, they all follow. Um, but I think it's good that you mentioned that about tourists because you, know, you do see a lot in games, in the, the Premier League where... And for Arsenal, we went through our, our, our barren period of not being good at uh, football. Um, mm. But you notice that the corporate boxes were getting emptier and emptier. And so, like now, because the the team, you know, had a good season last year, even though it didn't end as well as we would have liked, there's such a difficulty in getting tickets and stuff. Yeah, so there's things have changed. So yeah, the tickets to for those fans who where it means so much, and it goes to some a, a person who's just there to look good. And this, you, and this is not just football. Formula One does the exact same thing, depending on where you want to go. And that's why things like the Super League will just cause such an uproar because it's it's not catering to the core base of fans of what it means so much, of where they're practically stakeholders to the to the to the to the club. You know, obviously these things need money to run, but 
this, they, then you'll, you lose what was special about them to the point that they come, some of these stadiums and places come carbon copies of each other. You know, you look at what happened with, and the Brentford stadiums are lovely. I know you go there. Yeah. The Brentford stadiums are a lovely stadium, gorgeous stadium, absolutely like, you know, stunning from where it is. But, you know, they've still managed to put it in an area where it's still kind of people focus as opposed to say something like, I know this was for a long time for them, what happened to the West Ham Stadium. I still think they could have done something with the Bolin. That Bolin had a heritage. That Bolin, the fans there claimed that they won the World Cup with the players that went. Whereas now this, they merely take on, took on from... All right, granted, it's starting to bear fruit now, but a lot of them, if you could say to bring the bowling back for a day, they're going to the bowling also with, for with, a day. With the Olympic Stadium, it was a choice of either having West Ham in there and Tottenham. So, yeah. like, who really wanted to be displaced? I think West Ham have made it work because it is still in East London. Yeah, they made it um, work. Yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, it's just losing. Like, I just think it's... I, I think they're using football... They're using it for one, but you lose something else in return. You know, you look at all these gentrified areas and the stadium and that is the, is the hub of that all. But and I know you're doing that to lose a fan, a part of the fan base you seem deem undesirable, something that we can all agree on. But at the same time, you're losing grandfathers, fathers and sons going there 3 p.m. watching their team play because the tickets are extortionate. They are. Absolutely. Ex like everything is these days. You know, you're losing why what why people go to these things in the first place. A sense of bonding and community. And the, but the championship has that in absolute droves. You see a plethora of people. I've seen, you know, dads and mums taking their kids for the first game, so excited. And the team might get battered, but they deal, they'll come back next week. They'll come back next week. My first game, my first is this and that, whatever. Like, I mean, I'm going to speak we speak from one club. That's the one club that I work at. But it's going to be like that all around the country. You know, I mean, I follow a League One club as well. I mean, I'd love to go down there because that's where I'm from. Just just, a, just a love football again, you know? But yeah, for all the glitz and the glamour, the championship in the lower leagues that has the hearts, that has the soul. And I think that's one of the reasons why VAR has been such a polarising thing because the experience in the stadium when they're doing VAR checks, it's you just don't know what's happening. Basically, okay, check in process. Check-in process, check-in offside, check-in handball, check-in potential shirt pull, check-in goal, goal given. <laughs> yeah. And then depending on what stadium you're in, they might show you the replay. Because at the Emirates, they, they have, they flash the replay up. One replay, they'll give you a quick flash the replay. And I remember one of the games, which was the, the one, um, you know, the one against Man, uh, Man United when mm -hmm. I was there. And when Gabriel played, uh, stepped forward and Alejandro Garnacho was offside, mm -hmm. they flashed that replay up on the screen. The ugh, Sweet. <laughs> but you don't get that experience. You don't know what's happening. And it's one of the things where other sports have gotten it right, where they tell you what's happening or show you what's going on. Just show us the thing, they show this thing. It's not, we're not, no one's going to run onto the pitch and attack the referee. Mm. You'd hope. Yeah. But I guess, like, with that being said, Craig, like, from... You know, from your experience of working in stadiums over the last couple of seasons, so you've worked in in a stadium pre-VAR, post-VAR, have you noticed a difference in attitude of fans in and around the stadiums now going into games as a result of the introduction of VAR and how that's changed things for them? When, one thing I noticed, like, when I, because sometimes I work at Brentford or someone that's at the Brentford games, like, um, sometimes the fans, like, if, if their team are losing, they'll come in and order drinks and food straight away. 
they won't go and watch the whole game and they, they get very irated and all that. They start swearing. I remember the last game they played against West Ham, I think they scored a goal. I think West Ham scored a goal and they were very angry about it. And I think um, a lot of them were swearing and said, bloody VAR, bloody VAR, hate VAR. I can't stand it. And a lot of them were getting very angry. I can understand I can understand their point of view because they're not used, a lot of these older fans are not used to this VAR because they're used to, if the, if the lads put their flag up, it's offside, it's offside. Now they've got a computer telling them, no, check it. Or, or somebody behind a computer telling them, check it, it's offside. All these lines and all that. So I do feel it for the older fans. And I, think that kind of, I kind of think VAR is kind of spoiling the game of football because now referees are under intense pressure more pressure than they need to be under pressure because they have to manage a game. Injuries or red cards or incidents in the game going to happen. And then on top of that, they've got to do VAR on top of that. So it's like, you also, know what I mean? They're not really doing their jobs properly because no. they're not making decisions either. Whereas no. how it should be is you make a decision and if you're wrong, VAR says, hey, look, can you check that? Because I think you got it wrong. Mm. Or, yeah. yeah, that's fine. Rather than I won't do anything, VAR will bail me out on VAR. And, and, you know, we've heard enough of the audio in... VAR control room to, to ultimately say that it's not a professional working environment. They're using nicknames. People are shouting over each other. It's like they're it's like it's like a high school boys club. Like what's going on here? Yeah, there needs to be order. But one thing I like about rugby, rugby once once they do they they they're checking rugby. Once they send the guy off, it's off. They can't argue with the referee. They they got respect in rugby. That's, what, respect that's, that's yeah. what I love about rugby. They got respect about it because if the guy said you you done you done something wrong. And they, they, they do the radio to the other guy and say, yes, check it. They check it. Off. Yellow card, red card, they're off. I watched the Rugby World Cup and I watched one of the games and I saw one of the guys got sent off for he did a, a, did a bad tackle and hit the guy. I sent him off. The guy had to take it on the chin. He couldn't go back to the referee. He said, why are you sending me off for? Or after the game, the, the manager from the country is saying, this is a disgrace. This, that. It, you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. It's the same as well. Cricket's the same. They, they show you and they keep you in the loop and they they solve their problems quite quick. I mean, it's like mm. a, what, a one, two minute window, boom, and again, carry because there's no risk of any time, carry on. It, it needs to be short. The check, VAR check should not take five minutes. If within 30 seconds, you can't determine what's happened, move on. Don't give it. Yeah. Why do you need to do super slow-mo? If you can't see, in 30 seconds, if you can't tell what's happened, move on. Mm. Mm. Um, the other thing I want to ask though, like, because obviously, like with playing Sunday league football, you do play, like mm -hmm. in Sunday league football as well. Do you feel that the way how professional players on TV respond to referees mm. is that having a negative trickle effect down Sunday league football where you're seeing the worst behaviour from players and also from on, fans, managers and parents on the side? percent I played football on Saturday and like, um, we lost the game, but the referee, like, some of the decisions the referee was making in the game were very, like, it was under a lot, like the players were getting onto him, saying to him, ref, ref, why are you making this decision? And then what happened was the referee blew the whistle and called the two captains over and said, worth captain. So they said to the captains like, no, before the game, the referee said to us, he spoke before the game, said to me, you have any issues with him? Go to your captain, speak to your captain and tell the captain yeah. and the captain will come and talk to me briefly. What happened during the game? We should have had a couple of penalties and never got them. Players again, angry, irate, whatever. Started swearing at the referee, started arguing the referee, the other team not getting certain decisions, started arguing the referee. Then the referee got was getting fed off and getting like under pressure. So he blew the whistle and called the two captains over and said, Listen, you guys swore out your team wrong and I'll send sin being in players or sending off players. And I think to be fair, 
he had the right to do that because he can't be abusing the referees. And in the, in the amateur football, like in Sunday League and Saturday League, a lot of referees are getting abused. A lot of them are getting attacked. It's happening a lot. A lot of referees have dropped out of the game now because of that. They don't want to do it anymore because it's not right. And sometimes the managers are very aggressive on the sidelines to the, man, to the referees. And then if you're a linesman, obviously some inside of football, you have to do the lino yourself. Only if you're playing the higher level, you get linos given to you, but the players are the line. Sometimes the liners will be cheating in the games and all that, and the players are arguing the liner when they're cheating, and the ref manager arguing the liner. So it's very, it's, it's very like they watch what the Premier League's going on, and I think and they can bring their nonsense on the Premier League to Influence. amateur football, and Influence, it's not, yeah. and it's not nice. It's not nice at all. I guess hearing all that, Matthew, like, what do you think then the footballing governing bodies need to do from the top down and from the bottom up to really revamp how refereeing is done and to re-establish a sense of order and respect for referees at I, all levels? I think at clubs, I mean, I, I, I haven't played football like that for a very long time, so I don't know what it's like for you guys either. Mm. But I would have a thing where the referees know and the refereeing body know what they need to do to organise their back room make it more professional for because the, there's so much at stake at these games. But I think on the other side, you know, you have, you have to be said that a lot of these professionals don't, we put all these things in place for not respecting the referees that they should. You know, he's there to keep the peace. But you know, like he said, with the, the game there, they, they're getting their antics because it's influenced on the players that they idolise. So something's going to happen at a grassroots level to start up with the young kids, to teach them. I, I mean, again, I don't know how this goes on. I don't know if this does go on, but something's got to be taught where you know, we, the game's moved on. It, it's, we're much more about respect. We're much more about, you know, you know, understanding that, you know, how things happen and work in the game. If you want to be a part of it, you're going to respect every single aspect of it. Have someone come in and talk to them what it means to be being a referee. Have someone in explain why respect is valid and worth those both ways. Have someone come in and just do like, you know, I mean, maybe like a little mini course thing. If it has to get to that level to... Help just to help people understand why they are there, and if something does happen, this is the procedure. Have a procedure in place for exactly what happens or what needs to be done, because it's getting out of hand. Every the referees are getting as much attention as the players, and it never used to be the case. At one point, you didn't know the guy's name, but now now you do. You're doing all these antics. You've got referees now on TNT Sports, Sky Sports, saying all these things, which is good, but they don't say. But they only say it when the game's done. Right, which isn't, which obviously isn't good enough, but it needs to be more of an education. Education is a big thing here. We're in just understanding the roles of what they do and letting the players know that, like, you know, learn from the likes of rugby, learn from the likes of cricket. It's just like the more we respect and, you know, go along with what they're saying, the, the easier the game gets because you don't get these problems with, you know, in other sports. It's very rare you get these, these problems. And then if you do, they carry on, they move on. They don't moan saying, be like, oh, the referee cost us. Wait, no, we cost us the game. Referee's not wearing a Man United or whatever City shirt. He might feel like he is, but he's not. So more education, just more clarification between the two and understanding their roles to each other, I think needs to be so, so vital. I think it's definitely going to be a time of, of change and learning and growth. And... One final thing to talk about today is, of course, a subject that is of great concern for all of us. And we, we hope every time we have an international break, it doesn't affect our clubs. That's, of course, injuries. Just to say, so far this season, there have been 196 injuries in the Premier League alone. And mm. that is up 
15, that's a 15% increase compared to the last four seasons. And that's stats provided by ESPN UK. That is outrageous. And obviously the other night we saw um, Gavi got injured for Spain. I think his ACL is likely to be out for the rest of the season. We've Boxes. seen other players mm. injured so far this season, like Pedro Neto got a hamstring problem. Um, obviously, you guys have lost Kunku in preseason. At Arsenal, we've had a few. We've had players like Smith Rowe out, Thomas Partey out. Um, Gabriel Jesus. Gabriel Jesus out. He's back again. But, you know, it's it's a lot. What do you think, Craig, needs to be done to really address this? Because it's like, and obviously with the rumours and talk of um, a potential World Cup in Saudi Arabia, in, you know, not the next one, but the one after the one after. Mm-hmm. You know, come to World Cup, it could be end up in Saudi Arabia, which would mean another Winter World Cup. What do you think needs to be done now? And of course, coming next season, the Champions League is going to be even longer and bigger because they're introducing um, more groups and more phases and more teams to be part of it. What needs to be done now to really kind of prioritise player welfare? We need to limit the amount of international football being played. You don't need so many international, like Nation League and all that nonsense. They need to scrap that rubbish, man. It's just rubbish. For, it's rubbish. No, I'm not being funny, but nah, who watches nah. the Nation League? We're going to win the Nation League. Come on, man. Is it going to help them get qualified for the World Cup? Or is, is this nonsense? Is this all about money? It's greed. You play enough money, you play Premier League, Champions League, FA Cup, League Cup, Europa League, Europa Conference League. How many competitions can pre-season? When you go to America, China, Japan, to all this lucrative money these clubs are making. They need to worry about the players' welfare. I feel that they need to scrap some of the international games because it's too much. To me, look at look at Gabriel Jesus, for example. Last season, he went to the World Cup. Arsenal were doing well. Scoring, he didn't score a lot of goals, but he was doing well. Went to the World Cup, got injured. He was out for how many months? Almost four months, wasn't it? Comes back from injury. Scores a couple of goals here and there, but was not the same player. This season, got injured again in pre-season. Out for a couple of weeks. Come back. Did well again got injured again. So it, it's not, it's, these international tournaments are not, it's killing our players. Even think Kevin De Bruyne last season. Yeah. That was really heartbreaking. Did he, get, did, he, did he get injured in the World Cup as well? I think he did. So and he, he, in the World Cup, came and he, back, and got yeah. injured, injured in a Champions League, League final. final. And he hasn't played his second, His second Champions League final got injured. Remember the one against Chelsea and he got, when um, Rudiger yeah. finished him. Well, the really good one was, was as a collision, but this one was bad because in the first half, and it's a game where he knew he was thinking, right, I'm finally here, I'm going to get to play my minutes, do what I can do in the Champions League final. Breaks down. After how long was it? 10, 15 minutes? He broke Not that long. I'm thinking how many games he's playing because that was the same year he had the World Cup and doing all these games. And, and all the trophies he won that season yeah, as he's well. Not, he's, not, he's not a bit part player, he was no, a captain. It was the main man, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy, crazy stuff, mm. man. Okay, it's something needs to be done. I mean, for you, Matthew, what do you think? What would you like to see happen now? Like, because I, th- I feel like we're at a point now where either the leagues and the federations in charge make a decision, like FIFA, UEFA, Fifth Pro, which is a governing body that governs all um, footballers around the world, either they need to step in and say something, or the players themselves are just to say, look, we're not going to play anymore. I mean, going back to what you say with stuff like the Nations League, it's just filler, it's extra content, it's not, it doesn't mean anything, it's not going towards anything, no one's celebrating the fact that you've done it, all right? So content's got to be cut in some sort of way, because it's content, that's all it is, it doesn't mean nothing. Also, and this is, I know this is the England-centric problem, but it's still an important problem, if you're going to do these internationals, you're playing two games over the week that no, there's no league action, at least give it to the players that you know you're going to go with, in that coming 
tournament. Or, or, or you, if you know the players you're going to pick, yeah. you don't need to call them up because you're going to pick them anyway. Yeah. So call up players that you're not sure whether they could be a part of your squad. So like, you know Harry Kane, to me anyway, Harry Kane's going to start for England until he decides to retire. That's a given. Mm. Now, like his form could drop off a cliff, but because of his quality, he will still he get the start. So in these, these international weekends, why not give Ollie Watkins, not, not a call up, let's start the kid. If you're going to call up in Ketia, let's start him. Start. Wilson, let's start them. I remember years ago when, um, when Sturridge was still actively playing, and it's a shame that he's practically retired, but um, when he was still playing, and I remember when he started in a couple of games over Harry Kane and Rooney, you're just like, okay, this is interesting. Let's yeah. see what he can do. And he was, he was showing you well, you can he's do. got he was something. Yeah. You need that. Because the players know Harry Kane's the first choice starter. They know when Henderson gets called up again, another seven yeah. of um, internationals, what more do you need to learn? You know what Henderson's going to do for you. You're not learning anything new. When we had all this debate about Trent versus Trippier versus Walker, it's like, okay, let's call up Trent this week. Let's start right back. Let's see how he does. Goalkeeping debate. Pickford's number one. Okay, let's try someone else from the start. Okay, I know for these ones, he did give Sam Johnston some starts and everything, but let's be creative. You're always calling up Maguire. You know what Maguire can do. You've got other people, like other options. You know, you called up Tomori. You had uh, Tomori and Gray playing in the last game. Tomori played left back. Mm. Why is Tomori at left back? Guys are centre back. Like, what are we doing here? So that's my thing. Like, if, if you really want to showcase the pool of talent we've got in England, because there's a lot of really talented players in England that don't get an opportunity for the national team and you don't understand why. Players like James Ward-Prowse, he should be called up for the national team. What more does a guy need to do this season? I'm glad Bowen gets called up, but he should be getting calls up way before when he did. Mm. We know with Madison, he, he got called up and then wouldn't get utilised for a while. Obviously, now he's out injured. Another player. Ivan Tony, Ivan Tony, for example. Yeah, I think if, before he got I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, think of all the players that stop playing for England and go for other nations just because they don't get a chance because they know other players will be going in and guaranteeing their spot. But that's like that. Now, right now, in the last, what, five, six, seven years, we're blessed in pretty much every position that we have. So showcase the talent that we've got. Play, 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 play them. Give them a chance. You know, missing out on, you know, I know Harry Kane's important, but he missed out on the talent. So like the Watkins, your, 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 your Wilsons, you know, I know he doesn't play that much anymore, but Abraham at one point was getting it. Tony and Ketia, you know, so many, it wasn't, it wasn't like it was just one position. It's all over the pitch where we got these guys that can, that can perform. So, and it needs to make it a little bit more interesting. I mean, think back to the days, like, when we were probably, like, high school days when you had guys, likes of James Beattie getting into England squads mm. and <laughs> playing for England. Yeah. You know, James Beattie at Southampton was a goal machine. It wasn't, like, super prolific, but he always had a good run of games. He had a good free kick on him. He could get goals. You think back uh, prior to him, you had likes of Kevin Phillips. Yeah. He was there in and around that whole time as Jermaine Defoe. Yeah. You, know, you think of Peter Crouch. You, you can always think of different strikers in those areas when they got a chance to kind of threaten them at the main person. Emil Heskey, who people love and hate, like Marmite. Yeah. He was a guy. David Nugent. He, he, he won David Nugent. Mm. Remember um, John Stead? Yeah. Ricky, Ricky Lambert. Ricky, Ricky Lambert. So we can think of strikers over the years that have been given the opportunity to, to play for the country and make an, a stake for the position. And I think that's why if you're going to have all this fixture congestion, there should be like, because otherwise what's going to happen is the best managers are going to figure out all I've got to do is my player is injured the last game for these nationals and miss it. Mm. I'm not pointing any fingers at anyone, but I know a guy in Liverpool that's been doing that. So, 
I know a guy from Manchester used to do it all the time before, so <laughs> like, it works. Um, but it shouldn't have come to that. Managers no. shouldn't have to be strategic about their players for you to kind of do things in a balanced way. But that being said, we've got games coming up this weekend. We talked about them in the last episode, so if you want to hear our thoughts, our predictions, our expectations, our hopes, listen to that one. This has been another fun episode, and we'll be back next time after this weekend's games, where we're going to hopefully see three points across the board. And May United, we'll see what you do. <laughs> That's us soon signing out. See you next time. Peace. Peace.